Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you, Lord. We ask now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. I do pray for Pastor Tim and the work there in Cyprus and the church plant in Nepal and all they're doing in Turkey and Ukraine and other places. And I just thank you for their faithful obedience to say, here I am, send me, and to step out in faith. And I just pray your blessing upon that ministry and upon his family, his girls, his marriage. Just bless him, Lord, as he faithfully serves you. And Lord, we pray for everyone who's here tonight, none by chance, all by divine appointment. Lord, give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us tonight through your word. Lord, we ask these things in your holy and your precious name, we pray, and all God's people said, amen. amen. All right, so as we know, quickly, Second Chronicles, First and Second Chronicles were written to the captives out of Babylon as they are returning to Jerusalem, and most of them had never lived there, so they're getting a history lesson. Most people believed written all by Ezra, getting a history lesson of what had taken place in Jerusalem before they were all taken captive. So they're coming back, most of them, to a land they've never been to before, and they're being educated in all the stuff that God has done in, in Jerusalem, knowing that they're going back there themselves. So First Chronicles is really focuses on King David, and Second Chronicles started off with Solomon, and we've been moving forward from there. Now, the last four weeks, we've been looking at Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat, we know, was a godly man, and he was a faithful man, but he had one area that he struggled with multiple times that's kind of an impact on what we see in tonight's chapter. So at, while he was a man of God, he, it said that he was like his own father, Asa, who was also a godly man. Remember that all the kings in Israel, remember that it's split in half at this point, there's 10 nations to the north, that's Israel, and every king they had was evil. During the entire time when they were split in half, about half the kings in Judah were godly and about half were not. So Asa was godly and so was Jehoshaphat. And one thing he's noted for is he tore down all the idols. And then one of the things I love about Jehoshaphat that I will never forget is after he became king, one of the things he did was he organized a group and they literally went from city to city and taught the word to everybody. And I thought, man, what an, awesome, what an awesome thing to be known for, rediscovering the word of God in a sense, and then having it be taught to literally everyone in Judah. And so here he is, the king, and he's a godly man, and he's following in the path of his dad, but we know that he made one humongous bad choice. What was it? Who remembers? See, this is why I'm repetitive. See, <laughs> people say, why are you so stinking repetitive? Because everybody forgets. What did he do? He allied himself. There you go. Someone's paying attention. Praise the Lord. He allied himself with King Ahab. Ahab, the most wicked of all the kings in Israel. You couldn't get any worse. And his wife is even worse than him. I've told you, she broke the name. Nobody calls her kid Jezebel, right? I mean, that's a, if you're called a Jezebel, it's fighting words. And that was her name. She was wicked. And so what does he do? He aligns by marrying his son to Ahab and Jezebel's daughter, and in those days, they would do that for political reasons and also for financial gain often. So what they were doing was merging their countries together in a sense. And even though it was all Israel, we know that Ahab was a wicked, vile man. So he was literally being unequally yoked. And we saw the consequences because remember, then he was called on by Ahab to go out and fight in a battle. And the Micaiah back in chapter 19 told him, don't go fight the battle. And he went anyway. And remember Ahab told him to dress like the king and then he disguised himself because he was afraid he was going to die. And he said, well, you might as well kill him instead of me. And they were getting ready to kill Jehoshaphat and God rescued him. And so we saw last week in chapter 20 
that he had not learned from his mistake because he aligned himself again with the son of Ahab. And so as we pick up tonight's chapter, we're going to see, and I tell the message, if you have your outline, grab it. Last week, it was when the enemy attacks, right? This week, when godly men make ungodly choices. You know, the Bible tells us that the way of the transgressor is hard. And the choices that we make as believers, there's not a doubt in my mind, we're going to see Jehoshaphat in heaven. There's no doubt. He loved the Lord, but he had this one area where he continued not to really trust God. He was, he was falling into the trap of making political alliances instead of just trusting the Lord. The enemy was mounting up, so he makes a political alliance. And guys, we need to make sure we never put politics above the Lord. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. Donald Trump is not the savior. Jesus Christ is. Amen. We don't put our faith in the White House. We put our faith in the throne of God. Amen. We vote biblically. We want to do that. But look, we can be politically active, but our faith is in the Lord and we trust in him and nobody else. Amen. Put all of our faith in him. And often we're going to have to be outnumbered so that we can see God do a mighty and an awesome work. And so we're going to see in tonight's chapter, Jehoshaphat is going to die and his son's going to take over the son that's married to Ahab's daughter. And we're going to see that because of the woman he is married to and the choices that they have made, that he's going to be a wicked, evil king. He's not going to follow his dad's example in the rest of his life. He's going to allow what his dad chose to do and being unequally yoked to be the thing that transforms his life. But he's going to be wicked. He's going to be an idolater. He's going to be the first and only king in, in uh, Judah that actually rebuilds the high places where they worship false gods. His dad tore him down, his grandpa tore him down, and he's going to put him back up. And we know from extra-biblical jo- Josephus that it was at the urging of his wife, whose mom and dad were worshipers of Baal. And this is why we're not to be an equally yoke in the world. Amen. You become like the people you hang out with. So quickly through the outline, if you're new to the church, I do outlines that are, you have observation, interpretation, application, right? That's, a, that's inductive Bible study. That's what I teach, we're teaching in India, right? We've gone through it here. So what does it say? What does it mean? How does it apply to your life? These are applications, hopefully, we can take home, learn from tonight's text. Number one, when godly men make ungodly choices, our actions and choices impact the generation that follows us. It's been said that Christianity is often more caught than taught. You know, our kids are watching us, our grandkids are watching us, our coworkers are watching us. And the way that we live, it's not just what we say, it's how we live, right? Practice what we preach. And we're going to see in tonight's text that because of a choice that was made by Jehoshaphat, and I'm not giving excuses to, to Joram, his son, because he's still accountable. I will say this, just as a side note, when I do counseling right now, I do a lot of it and I love doing it and I'm always available. Call me anytime. You guys know I'll answer my phone 24 hours a day. Just call me. But here's what I hear a lot of. A lot of it's marriage and a lot of people are struggling in marriage because they didn't have a godly example of a godly marriage. I have a lot of young men that I'm counseling who don't know how to be a dad because they never had a dad. And so it just breaks my heart. And again, we want to drive them to what a godly man looks like and help disciple them to know what that kind of person looks like. But see, we, we have to recognize that the way that we love our life is an example to a lost and a dying world. When you show up at work tomorrow, the Holy Spirit just entered the building, amen? And you're salt and light and God has you there for a reason, your neighborhood, your salt and light. And so we need to live in such a way that we point people to Jesus, not just with our words, with our actions, our attitude, our character, Amen. 
Reputation is who we are when everyone's watching. Character is who we are when no one's watching. We're called to lead, love, and serve and be an example to the precious children God has given into our care. We're going to see that as a father and a son in tonight's text. Number two, we allow our fleshly desires and ungodly counsel to take the place of God's word and his commands. When we make ungodly choices, what we're doing is we're saying that we agree with what the world teaches or what someone else's opinion is above the word of God. Because God's word is always true. Amen? God's word is the standard always. And what will happen is the Bible tells us to walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. And we can get caught up in hanging out with the world and getting advice from the world. And we're going to see that happen in tonight's text. Number three, our sinful choices and compromises have consequences. Now, as believers, are we forgiven for all our sin, past, present, and future? What's the answer? And when we repent, God forgives us. He's faithful and just to forgive us. But even though God will forgive us, do often the consequences of those choices still remain even after we've been forgiven? What's the answer? Absolutely. That's why, you know, it's so important that we walk in obedience to the Lord. And again, we're saved by grace, not of works, lest any man should boast, but we're going to see that the way the transgressor is hard, you know, rebellion or fellowship choose one. Amen? That's, that, I say that a lot in counseling because you'll have somebody look you in the eye and they'll go, yeah, I'm doing this. I don't care. I say, okay, well, you've broken fellowship with God. If you're making a conscious decision to walk in open rebellion against God, you cannot walk in fellowship with God at the same time. There needs to be repentance. Amen? So rebellion or fellowship, choose one. Number four, if we do not repent, we will face the righteous judgment of God. God will not allow unrepented wickedness to go unchecked. And God suffers long, but he won't suffer always. You know, because he has shown grace and patience. And I'll tell you what, I think of our own country right about now. Amen? Because we're getting further and further away from the Lord. In the last days, men are called good, evil, and evil, good. And we're living in a time. I just saw this on, they're saying that two plus two equals four is racist. And so the lady said, so what do you mean? We said, well, there's no such thing as absolute truth. So two plus two could be five, depending on your perspective. That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. And I'm so tired of my truth and your truth. There's only the truth. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. And so we need to be faithful to recognize that, that, witness, that w- wickedness cannot go unchecked. And though God shows grace for a time, God's grace is freedom, it's not freedom, it's freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. Amen? So because we're under God's grace doesn't mean we can just continue on our sinful behavior because we know God will forgive us. That's what Satan whispers in your ear when he wants you to, when he wants you to sin, right? Hey, God already forgave you. Just go ahead and do it anyway. And God will forgive you if you truly repent, but the consequences may still remain. Number five, we will reap what we sow. We're going to see in tonight's text that Jehoram, he's just this wicked, evil guy. And in the end, the consequences are coming. And then finally, things don't end well. Guys, when we walk outside of God's will on purpose and we live that life separated from the Lord, things don't end well. So let's begin there looking in verse 1. When godly men make ungodly choices, our actions and choices impact the generation that follows us. It says in verse 1, And Jehoshaphat rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. So Jehoshaphat was a good and godly king who loved and served the Lord and commanded, again, that the word of God be taught to the entire nation. He tore down the false idols in the high places uh, where they were worshipped. Jehoshaphat was a godly king that we will see in heaven one day. But again, we see the consequences that are going to take place to the next generation. He's going to be buried with King David, and he's going to be recognized as a godly man 
But unfortunately, sometimes when we make ungodly choices, the real impact may take place after we're gone. Because what's happening is Jehoshaphat, as long as he was there with his son, uh, most people believe that they served kind of as co-regents at the end of his life, and he could keep his son in check. But as soon as he left, now it had to be his own faith. And the same is true for our children and our grandchildren that, you know what? God has no grandchildren, right? We all have to have our own relationship with the Lord. And if, you know, when we leave, what's going to happen to our family? I'm thankful that my dad was a pastor for over 60 years. The most godly man I've ever met in my life. I've never seen a man who loved his wife more than my dad loved my mom. My dad was my favorite Bible teacher, hard work. I I learned everything that I, you know, it's the Lord, but I'm so thankful that I had that example my whole life. And I'm thankful for that. And I do, and I'm thankful that our family has continued to serve the Lord after he was gone. Amen. But our prayer needs to be that that next generation, and so with Jehoshaphat, he's removed. Now what's going to happen? He's got seven sons, as we're about to see, and the oldest one's going to be made king. And sadly, you know, it's, it's tragic what we're going to see take place. And again, as his dad, no doubt he taught him the truth, no doubt. But at the same time, he also taught him compromise by allowing him to marry Jezebel's daughter, Ahab's daughter. Actually not allowing it, but arranging it. And you know what, guys, I want to say this too. If you've got kids, make a, st- I mean, look, they have their own free will. We cannot force, if we could force them all to just get, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be amazing? I would love that. That'd be great. We just make our kids, right? Uh, But we also know we didn't do that with our parents probably, right? But the reality is that they have to make their own choices, but we should do everything we can. One of my biggest things, one of the things I've done my whole life with my kids is every night when they were growing up, I would go in and pray for them. And I would always pray for the person they're going to marry one day. And so my, my second son's getting married in July. And when I do the wedding, I'll be able to tell my soon-to-be daughter-in-law, Lanisa, I've been praying for you for 31 years because I prayed every day for the, the woman that God had for my son. And we want to raise our kids to love Jesus, but also we want to pray for their spouses and we want to do everything we can to keep them from being unequally yoked. Now, again, they have their own free will. They're going to get old enough where they're going to make their own choices. And I've seen that in my own family. But in this case, Jehoshaphat arranged the marriage. And if anything could break your heart as a dad, it would have to be that. So we're going to see again how Jehoshaphat's choice to compromise the clear command in God's word. He commanded that the word of God be taught throughout the nation, but then he went contrary to it in the way that he arranged the marriage for his own son. Then it says in verse 2, then Jehoram, his son, reigned in his place. Jehoram's name means Jehovah is exalted. And I love, especially in the Old Testament, throughout scripture, when I see what somebody names their kids, it gives me an idea how they raised them. Amen? You know, you don't, raise your, you, don't, you don't name your kid Jehovah is exalted more than likely, like Daniel, God is my judge, right? And then they try to change his name, right? And so no doubt he was raised, as we know, Jehoshaphat, man of God. His grandfather Asa, man of God, stood for the truth, and he was named Jehoshaphat gives his son a name that honors the Lord and no doubt had great intentions to raise his son to love and serve and fear God. And looking at the totality of his life, Jehoshaphat was a godly example for his son to follow. But the area of compromise was aligning himself again with the wicked to bring about a desired result. Jehu the prophet, we saw in chapter 2 verse 19, he calls Jehoshaphat out. After he aligns himself with Ahab, and here's what he said to him, should you help the wicked 
and love those who hate the Lord. Therefore, the wrath of the Lord is upon you. God does not take that lightly. Amen? He literally pulls aside this godly man, and because of the alliance with Ahab, Jehu, the prophet, comes to him and says to him, should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord, therefore the wrath of the Lord will be upon you. Guys, as believers, we must not compromise our faith just to win friends. Amen? Now, should we love everybody? What's the answer? Should we be salt and light? Only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. Amen? And we want to minister to them. But at the same time, we must never compromise our faith in an attempt to try to win somebody over. You know, the way they need to be, they need to be one to the Lord. Amen? And if you surrender your life to the Lord, you're going to follow the Lord. And so, sadly, as Jehoram reigns in his place, his father, again, was a godly king, but he gets married to uh, uh, Athaliah is her name, the daughter of Ahab. And Jehoshaphat's arranging of this unequally yoked marriage is going to have long-term consequences. Take a look. Here we go. Verse 2. He had brothers, the sons of Jehoshaphat, Azariah, Jehel, Zechariah, Azariah, Michael, and Sheftai. And these were the sons of Jehoshaphat, king of Israel. So he has seven sons. And Jehoshaphat is referred to as the king of Israel in this text. And that can confuse you because Israel is actually the king at that time is Ahab. Uh, but it, that he's a king of part of Israel, right? Because Israel is all 12 nations. So he's only, a, only king over Judah. But again, he's referred to as the king of Judah. Now watch this. Their father gave them gifts of silver and gold, precious things with fortified cities in Judah. But he gave the kingdom to Jehoram because he was the firstborn. Now wanting to make sure that they continue to be faithful to the Lord after he went away to heaven. What does he do? He brings all seven of his sons in and he blesses them all. He gave them all fortified cities to rule over. But Jehoram is going to be the king. And part of the reason for that in those days, when you had multiple sons, you know, if you didn't know the Lord, there could be infighting over who wants to be king. Certainly we saw that with King David's sons, right? Absalom, and they were trying to take the kingdom away from Solomon, and there's nothing new under the sun. And so Jehoshaphat's using some wisdom here, making all of his sons rulers over individual fortified cities, but Jehoram is going to be the king. He gives them all gold and wealth, so they're all taken care of, and his hope is that this will alleviate any envy between the brothers, and they'll be able to live peaceably, and each of them can serve in the area they've been assigned to, and Jehoram will reign as king. So point number one there, our actions and choices impact the generation that follows us. We're about to see the truth of who Jehoram really is in the next verse, and it's pretty radical. We're going to see that he seemed to be a godly man because his dad was there and had an influence on him, but as soon as dad was gone, we're going to see this man's true colors come out. It's really tragic. So he becomes king but all his brothers, again, were greatly provided for. And Jehoshaphat's choice early on to marry Jehoram to Athaliah was literally for political gain, financial gain, and to try to build a bridge with a, with a wicked, wicked king. Point number two, we allow our fleshly desires and ungodly counsel to take the place of God's word and his commands. Look at verse four. Now, when Jehoram was established over the kingdom of his fathers... And he strengthened himself and killed all his brothers with the sword and others of the princes of Israel. How are we doing? 
So he sets up all seven of his boys. Jehoshaphat is now gone. Jehoram, because he is a flesh-driven man and doesn't trust in God, is afraid that someone's going to come and take away the kingdom. So what does he do? He eliminates anybody that would be another option to be king. He slaughters his six of his brothers, plus other princes in the land, so that there's no other option but him to be king. Now, obviously, this is a man that is driven by the flesh. He is a wicked man. He kills every threat to the throne. You know, the Bible tells us that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Guys, we should hold loosely to any position that we have because it all belongs to the Lord. Amen? And anybody who strives to get something is going to have to strive to keep it. And anybody who does things in an ungodly manner, we, I mean, we're seeing real quickly, this guy is as wicked as they come. He killed his own family. And again, despite all that Jehoshaphat did to keep them from envying each other, he did it in a godly way. Here, let's give you all some authority. Let's make sure you're all cared for. You guys can all rule together. Jehoram will be the king, but you guys have places to rule. Instead of doing it in a godly way for unity, what does is, what is, uh, Jehoram do? He wipes out all his brothers. He's operating totally in their flesh. Now, there's not a doubt in my mind that Ahab, Jezebel, and Athaliah had an influence on that guy. Because you know what? Instead of following his father's footsteps and his grandfather's footsteps, he's following his father-in-law's footsteps. Ahab was a vicious, wicked man who slaughtered anybody that got in his way. And so was Jezebel. And sadly, he's going to follow that line instead of following the godly one. We're going to see, though, that the way of the transgressor is hard. The wickedness of Jehoram, again, it's not a surprise, considering how much he allowed himself to be influenced by the house of Ahab. You become like the people that you hang out with. You know, it's interesting. My mom gave me an analogy when I was probably 10 years old. I've never forgotten it. I'm sure you've all heard it. And it was when I was starting like middle school and she pulled me into the breakfast nook at our house and she had me stand up on a chair and she said, okay, son, pull me up on the chair. And I couldn't. And then she said, I'm going to pull you down. And she pulled me down that quick. And the reality is it's a lot easier for the world to pull you down than for you to pull them up. And the only way you're going to be able to pull them up is if they want to come up. Amen? If somebody's really desiring to be pulled up, they'll help you do it. But the reality is when you live in the world, the world you're going to become like the people you hang out with. Bad company corrupts good morals. We minister to the world but have no fellowship with it. You've heard me say it many times. The boat's in the water. We don't want any water in the boat. Amen? We want to minister to the world, have no fellowship with it, be salt and light, let's reach out to them in love, but let's stand for the Lord. But sadly, we see here that Jehoram is just a wicked, vile man, and he just wants the kingdom to himself. Has have we, have we had anybody talking about the Lord here anywhere so far? Nobody's praying. Nobody's seeking the Lord. What has happened is Jehoram has been hanging out with the Baal-worshipping in-laws and his Baal-worshipping wife, and he's become an idolater, and all he cares about is his own life and his own way and having what his flesh wants. Verse 5, Jehoram was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. We're going to get through this chapter tonight, and we're going to see that not only did he only rule for eight years, his dad ruled for 25 years. His grandfather, I think it was 40 years for Asa. So they all had long reigns. And he has an eight-year reign, and we're going to find out that the last two years of it, he was laying on the floor in pain. So his reign is short, 
And one of the reasons for that is that he was a man who was walking in open disobedience to the Lord. So there was no blessing on his time as king because he was a wicked, vile man and God was dealing with his disobedience and his unfaithfulness. All his evil and murderous actions to hold on to the throne went for naught because he only lasted eight years. So he literally slaughters everybody that's in his path in hopes of being king forever or for a very long time until he dies of old age. He's king for eight years. It doesn't last because you can eliminate the other options for king, but you can't get rid of almighty God. Amen. And almighty God is the one who numbers our days. And so here we see Jehoram walking in the flesh and we're going to see the consequences that come from it. There it says in verse 6, And he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, just as the house of Ahab had done. For he had the daughter of Ahab as a wife, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. So God is going to show some mercy to Judah, but not because of the king, but because of his promise to King David. But we're seeing here clearly, it makes it so clear in this verse, that he's become the man that he's become because of Ahab, Jezebel, and his ungodly wife. And again, can a man hold fire to his bosom and not be burned? Can you, you know, you cannot hang out with the world and not be impacted by it. And so here's this king that could have been used mildly by God, that had a godly dad and a godly grandfather, saw, you know, had a front row seat to watching them faithfully serve the Lord. And sadly, he was being influenced by the world. It says he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. That's not a compliment. Remember the kings of Israel have all been wicked this entire time, all of them, everyone, not one good king among them. And the, and the worst one of all of them is his father-in-law. You know, when I was a young man, I, always, I was looking forward to having a father-in-law. I thought, because my dad and I's relationship was amazing. And my father-in-law was a great guy. It wasn't kind of the relationship that I thought it would be. He's just very different. And I loved him and he's in heaven now and I can't wait to see him. But he's not like a second dad, you know, we're just different. And, you know, my relationship with my, my daughter-in-laws and so on, you know, my hope would be that I would be a Christ-like example to them. Amen? Well, in this case, because he had unequally yoked and he married into an ungodly family, he's getting ungodly counsel. And he's following in the footsteps of the most ungodly man on the planet at the time, King Ahab. Again, we know Athaliah, the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel, was famous for her cruelty, as was her, her, her mother, and it was likely that she was the principal cause for Jehoram's, uh, you know, cruelty and profaneness, profanity. So she was the example that he was trying to follow. She was having an influence on him. You know, praise God for godly wives. Can I get an amen to the guys in the room? The Bible says, you know, her, you know, her work is far above rubies. Amen. And, and look, I also know there are people in our church that are married to unbelievers, and I want to encourage you, stay and pray, right? Don't bail out, work it out. That's your mission field now. Love her, love him, serve each other, minister to each other, and pray for their salvation. But, so he's unequally yoked. The Word of God is very clear about it, and they were worshipers of Baal. It says this in 2 Corinthians, you are not the same as those who do not believe. So do not join yourselves to them. 
Good and bad do not belong together. This is kind of a New Living Translation. Light and darkness cannot share together. How can Christ and Belial, the devil, have any agreement? What can a believer have together with a non-believer? The temple of God cannot have agreement with idols. And we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk with them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Guys, if we, we, again, we want to minister to the world. I love everybody. I want to see people saved. I'm the total evangelist at heart. I love to talk to people everywhere about Jesus anytime that I can. That being said, while I will minister to them, I don't have fellowship with them. And what I mean by that is, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll even go to a ball game with a coworker who's not saved so I can minister to him, but I'm not going to go hang out with him when they're doing ungodly stuff. Amen? Does that make sense? And I'm not going to allow, you know, what their, their belief to impact my walk with the Lord. And so we need to be strong enough. And sadly, Jehoram was not. And Jehoshaphat put his son in a bad place. And again, I'm not making excuses for Jehoram because he's responsible for himself. Amen? But that being said, may we learn from Jehoshaphat's example, that if we have any ability at all, I was the most overprotective father who's ever lived, and my kids still give me a hard time about it, okay? But any young man that got within 500 yards of my daughter, I would scare them half to death in Jesus' name. I would go do chapel, have my daughter stand up, and I'd say, if any of you guys get within 15 feet of her, I will break you off in Jesus' name, right? I'm waiting for God's man, and it's none of you knuckleheads, so just leave her alone, right? And she met a godly man and he's a pastor and praise God. But here's the point I'm making though, is that as parents, you know, it's okay. Be the parent. Can I get an amen to that? They got enough friends, be the parent, make a stand for the things of God and don't, you know, try to be their best friend. My my first day of high school with all four of my kids, I drove them to school and said, I I love you enough to let you be mad at me for the next four years because I'm going to be your dad. And again, they still had free will, and we know that, you know, my kids had their struggles themselves, and, but my, my, the point is that we as, as parents and grandparents, we need to do the best we can to minister to our kids and teach them the truth. And, and if they're outside of the truth, love them. Amen? Love them and continue to pray them back and continue to reach out to them and minister to them because our love for them should be unconditional. So his father, Jehoshaphat, was a godly man who had a bad and sinful habit of making compromising associations. And the, and the worst fruit of his sinful tendency was not evident until after he died. He, he didn't see this. No doubt he knows about it now in heaven, but he didn't see this. And it's once he left, the choices he made, again, were tragically revealed. Then it says there in verse 7, yet the Lord would not destroy the house of David because of the covenant that he made with David, since he had promised to give him a lamp, give a lamp to him that he'd be light and his sons forever. So even though Jehoram was an ungodly man and faithless, our God is faithful. And isn't it good to know that even when we're faithless, our God is faithful. Amen. And God had made a promise to King David And he's going to be faithful to that promise he made to King David in spite of this great, 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 great grandson of his who is now an ungodly, wicked man. Now, he's going to be faithful to that promise to continue to have people in his line reigning in Judah for more generations to come, but it doesn't mean that Jehoram is going to escape the consequences of his choices. God is faithful to his promises, and one of his promises is that you know he is a he's a loving, gracious, and merciful God, but he's also a righteous God. Amen. And because he is righteous, he must judge sin. It says in Second Samuel, where God made this promise to David, and when your days are fulfilled, you shall sleep with your fathers, and I will set up a seed after you, which shall proceed 
out of you, out of your loins, and I will establish the kingdom. And he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So God is faithful, even when we are faithless. But in our faithless sin, we have to deal with the consequences. So point number two there, we allow fleshly desires and ungodly counsel to take the place of God's word and his commands. And that's exactly what happened to Jehoram. Jehoram had been raised in the truth by his dad. He saw his dad living a godly life. He saw his dad tearing down the the high places for the idols. He saw his dad have the word of God being taught throughout all of the land. And now his dad is gone. Instead of picking up the torch and following after the the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and following in his father's footsteps, he's going to turn and follow after the God of Ahab and Jezebel and his wife, Point number three, our sinful choices and compromises have consequences. Look at verse eight. In those days, Edom revolted against Judah's authority and made a king over themselves. So Jehoram went out with his officers and all his chariots with him, and he rose by night and attacked the Edomites who had surrounded him and the captains of the chariots. Here's what happens. The Edomites see what's happening in Israel. And at that time, they were like indentured servants and to some degree to Israel. So they were, they were paying, you know, money, taxes to Israel. And it was kind of a promise to them. We know the Edomites are descendants of Lot, right? And so they, you know, they'd come up from an ungodly uh, background. But here they are and in the midst of all of that, and they've been paying tribute. And then when they look and they see that the king killed all his brothers, and they see that the king is not worshiping the true and living God. They're like, man, that king's weak. We should attack. Sound familiar? Just saying. <laughs> I don't have a whole lot of confidence in our president, but I pray for him. Can I get an amen to that? But people look, when, you, when you've got weak leadership, what do they say? Dude, this is, if we're going to go after him, it's right now. I don't think Russia invades Ukraine if we have a strong, godly man in the, in the White House, Right? And again, I'm not a political guy, but the point I'm making is that when you see a weak leader, you attack. And so the Edomites are like, dude, this guy's a mess. He killed all his brothers. He doesn't know what the heck he's doing. We knew Jehoshaphat. That guy was a godly man. That guy prayed. We don't want to mess with his God. This guy worships false idols. We're not worried about him at all. And so they attack. And now he's embattled in a war against the Edomites because of his own ungodly choices and the loss of any... Uh, relationship with the Lord. This was a prophecy that was given to Esau. Again, Esau is actually the father of the Edomites. Uh, I was thinking of Lot with uh, the, the other tribes. But it says in Genesis 27, and by thy sword you shall live and you shall serve thy brother and it shall come to pass when you shall have dominion and you shall break his yoke from your neck. What he's talking about, there's going to be a day coming when you're going to be released from that bondage to Israel. And this is the fulfillment of it. The Edomites recognize weakness in the kingdom due to the king's wickedness. And you know what? It's amazing to me. It's, 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 uh, character, it's character and strength that causes fear in other nations. And it's weakness and idolatry and wickedness and ungodliness that, that causes people not to fear. We don't fear you. Even ungodly people have a different relationship with that. So sometimes, I want to say this too, when God, so God brings this attack against him, 
this is actually an opportunity probably for him to repent. See, I tell you that no suffering is wasted, right? We've talked about this. That when we go through difficult times, often if we're in rebellion against God, often he'll bring consequences and conviction so we have an opportunity to repent and get right with God, amen? And so he's letting the enemy attack and if he had been sensitive to the Lord at all, he might have realized, man, you know, I'm, I'm being idolatrous, all this stuff, and these guys are coming against me and I, I don't have God standing behind me anymore. And it would, could have been an opportunity for him to repent. You guys just know that too, that sometimes when we're going through difficulty, when we're being convicted about our life or when we have consequences of choices we've made, it's an opportunity to get right with God. So as long as the kings in Judah remained true to their allegiance with God, they were able to keep all these surrounding nations subject to them. But now that they've walked away from God, these surrounding nations aren't fearful anymore and they're ready to go after them. You know, years ago, somebody came to the United States to find out where the strength of our country was. It's, you know, for the size of our country and the amount of people, I'm a patriotic guy, but I'm way more, I weigh more about Jesus than I am in the United States. It's not even close, amen? But, you know, when you think of all the great inventions and just how much God has done here, I truly believe all of that is blessings from God because we are a nation that honored God. And I forget where the guy came from. I think it was France, but a guy came and he wanted to find out why America was so great, and he went to the schools and he didn't find it there. And he went to the city squares and he didn't find it there. And he went to the churches and that's where he found it. And he said, as long as America honors God, America will be great. When America ceases to honor and worship God, America will cease to be great. And that's what we're living in right now. And you know, good news, we're still here. We're salt and light, right? God has us here for a reason. And California really needs Jesus, amen? People keep moving. I get it, but... This is as great a mission field as, as anywhere in the world right now, pretty much. Verse 9. So watch here. So Jehoram went out with his officers. He goes out to engage in this battle, and he rose by night, attacked the Edomites, and we aren't told how, the, how it turns out. It doesn't give us the result. And the fact is that I don't think anything that they don't win the battle. I think there's some kind of engagement. Maybe there's a standoff because the Edomites are still going to be around. And he's going to continue to have problems with these nations that surround him. Aligning with the world never makes us stronger. Rebellion against God's commands always makes us weaker. He was in open rebellion, and he was not in fellowship with God. So when he went out to fight the battle, he was fighting it in his own strength. Now, God again showed him grace because of the promise he had made to King David. Notice that it's not just the Edomites. Look at verse 10. Thus, Edom has been in a revolt against Judah's authority to this day. See, it never, there was no end to it. it, continuing on for generations to come because of the ungodliness of their king. At that time, Libna revolted against the rule because he had forsaken the Lord God of his fathers. Now, it's really clear. Why did, now, Libna, you, you don't maybe know much about them. They're about 22 miles away from Jerusalem. It's this surrounding smaller nation. And they come and attack too. And why did they attack? Because they had forsaken God. It's right there in the text. Why did they attack? Because they knew that he was not aligned with Almighty God. You know what? People, again, will, will recognize that our God is great and it will strike fear into their hearts. We see it all throughout scripture where they're like, man, don't mess with those guys. God's on their side. If God is for us, who can be against us? But after both his father Jehoshaphat and his grandfather had removed the high places. Notice what it says in verse 11. At the end of there, it says, Moreover, so Libna revolted against him because he had forsaken the Lord. Moreover, he made high places in the mountains of Judah 
and caused the inhabitants of Jerusalem to commit harlotry and led Judah astray. So 60 plus years of godly kings is ruined in a very short amount of time by an ungodly king. And what is he doing? He's undoing everything his dad and his grandfather did. His dad and his grandfather got rid of all the idols. And it says there he's rebuilding the high places. This is the only king in Judah that I think I, I, I didn't see anywhere in scripture else where he's rebuilding high places. He's building places to worship false gods. Now, we know that some of the other kings allowed it or they were already in existence, but he's actually taking the stuff that his father and grandfather had removed and putting it back up. And again, it's kind of mindful of what's going on in our government today. We're getting closer to the Lord and now we've turned around and gone in the exact opposite direction. I, I mean, we just, we're living on the moon right now. When we don't know what a man and a woman is, I mean, it's all attacks on what God, how God created us. It's all mocking the Lord and people are afraid to take a stand against it because they're afraid that they'll be, you know, called a homophobe or something else, right? But he caused the inhabitants of Jerusalem to commit fornication. The word there for harlotry or fornication, why would that be? Because they were he had drawn them away to worshiping false gods, and we, are, we, are, we belong to the Lord, amen? So when we worship false gods, we're committing spiritual adultery, amen? So not only was this man married to an ungodly woman, but he was leading God's people in Judah into fornication to worshiping false gods, which put them at odds with the true and living God. We know in the New Testament, we're the bride of Christ. We're married to Jesus, Right? And we're married to the Lord. And when we worship other gods, we're committing spiritual adultery. Can there be few things more, you know, how horrible can that be said that he took God's people and had them committing spiritual adultery by the choices that he was making and the places that he was leading them? So point number three, there are sinful choices and compromise have consequences. What's happening is now the surrounding nations don't honor him anymore. He is now entered... Judah into adultery against God, and, and his choices are now going to have heavy-duty consequences. Point number four, if we do not repent, we will face the righteous judgment of God. Look what happens there, beginning in verse 12. And a letter came to him from Elijah the prophet. Now, I love this, because I don't see anywhere else in the Bible where Elijah writes anything to anybody. And Elijah, how were he and Ahab? They bros or what? You gotta look, I, I want to have a Coke with Elijah, man. I want to hang out with that dude. That's my bro right there. Anybody who walks into Ahab's and just starts kicking idols over, that's a guy I want to hang out with, amen? The guy up on Mount Carmel, if you go to Israel with us, right, calls fire down from the sky, mocks the prophets of Baal. They're all wounding themselves and calling out to their God. And he's like, maybe he's asleep. Maybe, your God's, maybe he's on the toilet. It's in the Bible, okay? He's mocking their God. And then he wipes out the prophets of Baal. And so his focal point is Israel, but this wickedness in Judah is so heavy that either the Holy Spirit moves on Elijah or God sends him down and says, you need to go talk to that guy. And he needs, a God, he needs a godly influence to bring instruction into his life because he's gotten so far away from the Lord. This man is so wicked that the prophet Elijah, again, the same guy who caused all the problems for his father-in-law Ahab, I, I would have loved to hear when Ahab, when he found out that Elijah wrote a letter to his son-in-law, I think his head probably exploded, right? 
King Ahab. And I, I just love that, you know what? We need godly voices to enter into wicked situations and make a stand for the truth when nobody else will. Amen? All the rest of the people in his kingdom are probably scared to death of him. Elijah's scared of nobody. God's not giving us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. Amen? God sends Elijah, and Elijah's going to speak directly into this man's life. And he's going to tell him the truth. And he's going to tell him things that he doesn't really want to hear. So Jehoram's wickedness was so great that God intervened through his greatest living apostle at the time. And again, God suffers long, but he won't suffer always. And some righteous judgment is coming. So he writes this letter and he said, it says there in verse 12, Thus says the Lord of your father David, because you have not walked in the ways of Jehoshaphat, your father, or in the ways of Asa, king of Judah, but have walked in the way of the kings of Israel, and have made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to play harlot, like a harlotry of the house of Ahab, and also have killed your brothers, those of your father's households were better than yourself. Now, there are people that are so wicked and so arrogant and think they can just live their life the way they want to and praise God that somebody comes in and just speaks the truth and does it with boldness. And he says to him, look, all of your brothers were better than you. All of them would have been a more worthy king than you. I'm paraphrasing here. By the way, you killed your brothers. You entered into harlotry. You've aligned yourself with King Ahab. And so he's coming and he's confronting him with this sin. You've heard me say it as Christians, we don't stab each other in the back, we stab each other in the front, amen? We have someone who loves us enough that if we're outside of God's will, and in this case, he's not even a believer, and we're going to see that at the end of the text. But he's, Jehoram refused to follow the godly example, choosing instead, again, to, for harlotry, he killed his own brothers, and now he's being called out for his sin, verse 14. So what's going to happen? Okay, yeah, I, I killed my brothers. Yeah, I did harlotry. So what? I'm the king. Nobody can do anything to me. Verse 14. Behold, the Lord will strike your people with serious affliction, your children and your wives and all your possessions. Now, what's interesting is he wiped out all of his brothers and their families, and he wiped out anybody else who could have made a claim to the throne, the princes and their families. And what is the consequence? His own family is going to have the righteous judgment of God upon them because of the way that he acted toward God's people. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Amen? God will always do a better job defending us than we'll ever do defending ourselves. We know in Revelation, we're going to see in a couple chapters, we've already seen a little bit where the martyrs are going to cry out, God, when are you going to bring vengeance upon these guys? And in this case, Jehoram thought he was, man, I'm the king, man. I've killed everybody. I've got it locked in. I'm the man. I'm going to follow Ahab. I'm wealthy. I can do whatever I want. Nobody can tell me what I, what I, what I, you know, I can do whatever I want. Here's the problem. It's like somebody being led today by their feelings instead of the truth. Amen? We live in a world right now where there's an epidemic of what well, I feel, what well, I think, I believe. I don't care. It's not what the Bible says. Can I get an amen to that? Our feelings lie to us all day long. They can be real, but they lie to us. And we're living in a time, well, I feel like I'm a man, so I'm going to cut, you know, I'm going to mutilate myself. Guys, it's, it's so demonic. Amen? And we need someone to step into the middle of that and in loving in a kind way, but speak the truth. And that's what Elijah does. And he lets him know, God's judgment's coming, bro. You thought you could just get away with all this. And certainly he did for almost eight years. And then look what it says in verse 15. You will become very sick with a disease of your intestines until your intestines come out by reason of sickness day by day. 
Hello? He was a vicious, brutal, wicked man, and God's righteous judgment is going to come upon him. And for two years, he's going to be sick until eventually his intestines come out of his body and he dies. The way of the transgressor is hard. Amen? Now, I still believe during the two years when he was facing the righteous judgment of God, could he have repented? Just like we're talking about the great tribulation right now on Sundays, right? Why does God have seven years of this? Why didn't he just do it all in a day? Because he's got the 144,000 who are witnessing to people. Because there's, a, there's people that are going to get saved during the great tribulation. And praise God for those people. Amen? And God suffers long, but he won't suffer always. But he desires to give people an opportunity to be saved. And even in his own torment, I believe he could have repented. But sadly... This man, and again, do you think that's an example for upcoming kings? How'd that work out for, hey, do you hear what happened to Jehoram, right? right? He wasn't worshiping the Lord. Yeah, his intestines came out of his, yeah, came right out of him, dude. It was rough. I, yeah, I don't think I want to do that, right? He ate the chili and his intestines came out, right? You know, no, I'm not eating that. And I'm not going to dishonor God, amen? So he was sick day by day, and God had promised that Jehoram's wickedness would result in righteous judgment, and this painful ailment would be punishment for his sin. See, even as believers, again, we always talk about this, sin is not bad because it's forbidden, it's forbidden because it's bad. God doesn't just say, well, that's going to be a thing I don't want you to do because I just want to keep you from having a good time or having fun. He knows it will harm us. God's word, as you hear me say, it's not a fence to keep out of Disneyland. It's a guardrail to keep you from driving off a cliff. He's not trying to keep you from fun. He wants to keep you from harm. So these exhortations that he's given to Jehoram is so that, hey, be obedient to what I've called you to. Guys, when we're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed. Amen? The highest form of worship is obedience. And when we think we're smarter than God and we act contrary to God, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And we start living our own life and walk according to our own rules. Don't be surprised when God loves you enough. Those who the Lord loves, he disciplines. Amen? And if you're an unbeliever, he may do things to get your attention in hopes that you would turn to him. So point number four there, if we do not repent, we face the righteous judgment of God. And boy, did he face it. Last two points. We will reap what we sow. Look at verse 16. Moreover, the Lord stirred up against Jehoram the spirit of the Philistines and the Arabians and were near the Ethiopians. And they came up into Judah and invaded it and carried away all the possessions that were found in the king house and also his sons and his wives. So there was not a son left to him except Jehoaz, the youngest of his sons. So he killed all his brothers and then God allows the enemy to come and take all of his children captive. And take away his multiple wives. That's another problem in that sentence, right? So taking away his wives, and he leaves the one that's Ahab's daughter, right? But they, so here, here his ungodly behavior is going to wreak heavy-duty consequences on his own family. Because of the choices he's made, his family is facing the heavy-duty consequences. We haven't seen the Philistines since chapter 9 of this text. David had defeated them, Remember? And now all of a sudden, God's bringing them back to bring righteous judgment. And I truly believe that God will even use ungodly kingdoms to bring righteous judgment upon what were once godly kingdoms, right? Isn't that what happened with Babylon, right? King Nebuchadnezzar, they came in and stole the people away. 
The people reading this text right here were in ba- had just been in Babylon and are coming back to Jerusalem, and they're being taught that, look, when we don't honor God, consequences are heavy. God knows what's best for us. Obey him because he loves us. He loves you more than you will ever know. He knows you best and he loves you most. What a great and awesome God we serve. Amen? He knows every wicked, vile thing you've ever done or thought, and he loves you anyway. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so instead of pushing against God, we need to surrender our lives fully to God. And so they only left one son, the youngest of his sons, and in the workings of God's justice, the man who began by massacring his own brothers ended up suffering the loss of his own family. The way of the transgressor is indeed hard. Reaping and sowing, and again, I can't help but think of the irony here as he kills all of his own family. Again, it says in Galatians, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that he shall also reap. For he that sows to the flesh shall reap from the flesh corruption, but he that sows to the spirit shall reap to the spirit life everlasting. So we cannot live an ungodly life. And again, we're saved by grace, not of works, as any man should boast. It's not faith or works or faith plus works. It's faith that produces works. Amen. And by your fruit, they shall know you. And as Christians, we're not sinless, but we should sin less. Amen. We have a different view of our sinful behavior. We hate it and we want to honor the Lord. And we see that Jehoram is so far from all of that because he's become like another son to King Ahab. Final point, things don't end well. Look what happens. Verse 18, after this, the Lord struck him in his intestines with an incurable disease. Then it happened in the course of time at the end of two years of his intestines coming out because of his sickness. So he died in severe pain and his people made no burning for him like the burning of his father's. He was such a wicked man that God not only struck him down dead, but when he died, nobody honored him. He was a wicked, vile man. And the people didn't honor him. They didn't want anything to do with him. I'm surprised it doesn't say and there was a parade through town, I, you know, celebrating his death. But here he was, this king, and he thought he was... You know, he thought he was the man and he didn't need God. And he wiped out all, you know, the, anybody else who could take over the throne. And now at the end of his life, the way the transgressor is hard. His intestines are coming out, an incurable disease. Apparently he suffered for two years and this is a long while to lie under so intolerable a disease. So he was only king for eight years and two of it was laying in bed in pain. So how, how did his whole program work out? right? There's no fruit, there's no fruit, there's no blessing. Again, if God is for us, who can be against us? And then last verse, he was 32 years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem eight years, and, to, and it says there, and to no one's sorrow departed. Nobody was sad. Nobody's weeping for this guy. However, they buried him in the city of David, but not in the tombs of the kings. They did not honor him because he dishonored God. Guys, you know what? Here's the reality. If the Lord tarries, all of us are going to breathe our last breath on this planet at some point. And the only thing that will matter is what have you done with God's son? And if you know the Lord, you'll close your eyes on earth, you'll open them up in glory. And my prayer is that all of us would hear those seven words that my ultimate 401k, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Amen. May we live in such a way that when we stand before the Lord, we're finishing strong. We're being obedient to his word. We're allowing God to do a work in us and through us. And we have a love for the Lord. But here's the sad part. If you don't know the Lord, even if you've gone to church your whole life, 
Even if you've made professions of faith, God ultimately knows if you have a relationship with him or not. You're either going to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter in, or you're going to hear, depart from me, for I never knew you. My prayer is for, for the Caneo Valley and beyond. I'm praying for revival here. And by the way, you know, since I became full-time about eight weeks ago, I do prayer walks twice a week. So if you want me to pray for you a lot, put prayer requests in the, in the and I'm gonna, I go around, I just pray for hours. So I would love to pray for you. I'd love to have names of people that you want to see get saved. We're going to put out the new church directory. And when that comes out, I want you to put your prayer requests in there. And I promise you, you'll be prayed for multiple times a week. Because guys, God answers prayer, Amen. And we need to be praying for divine appointments. We need to pray for opportunities to share with people the love of Christ. And I, you know, I pray for divine appointments every day, and I get them every day. I just think it makes us available. Amen? When you pray for it, you're looking for it. People need Jesus. And so he's dead. He's in the ground. And nobody celebrated his life. And the sad part is, as much as he suffered while on earth, he's suffering far more now. Amen? Because there's no glimpse of this guy giving his life to the Lord at any point. And so, so guys, we have a choice to make. Who are you going to serve? Got to serve somebody, as Bob Dylan would say, right? Got to serve somebody, right? And Bob Dylan. You may be the devil, or you may be the Lord, right? So choose today whom we will serve. As me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So in closing, when godly men make ungodly choices, our actions and choices impact the generation that follows us. May we be a Christ-like example to our kids, our grandkids, our neighbors, our coworkers. Amen? Number two, we allow our fleshy desires and ungodly counsel to take the place of God's word. Guys, walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. It doesn't matter what the world says. What does God say? Amen? This is always the final authority in everything. Number three, our sinful choices and compromises have consequences. We see that what hap- is happening here in Jehoram's life. If we do not repent, we face the righteous judgment of God. Again, he suffers long, but he won't suffer always. Because God has allowed you to continue in sin for a time and consequences haven't come, doesn't mean they're not coming. Amen? So repent before they do. We will reap what we sow. And then finally, if we don't know the Lord, things won't end well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. We thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray you would help us to live lives fully surrendered to you. Lord, fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. May we decrease that your spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. Thank you for everyone who's here tonight, all those that are watching on live stream, or will hear this later on the radio. May you minister to every heart. Lord, may we begin, spend, and end our day with you. Lord, may we have a heart for a lost and a dying world. May we minister to the world, but have no fellowship with it. So Lord, we surrender our lives to you. Be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said.